The Eddie B. Sit edition, an audio series of the Talmud Bavli. Masechet Sukkah has been dedicated by Celia and Isaac Jamal. Hashem Alehem Yehu Amen for the Hatzlecha of their dear children. May they see much nachat from all of them. May they all grow up and get married in the right time and have children healthily, happily with berachah vatzlacha. And may they see uh, descendants and descendants of their descendants. Ad bi'ad go'el sedek. Amen. The Masechet has also been dedicated Le'ilu Nishmat Sarah Bat Adel Ruach Hashem Tanihena Began Eden Amen Again by Celia and Isaac Jamal To school the mitzvot Today's daf is being dedicated by our dear friends From Aventura, Florida Mr. Roger and Raquel Baghdadi Hashem Alehem Yichyu Amen Daf Lamed Vav Today's daf is being studied the Ilun Shmat Abraham ben Esther. Ruach Hashem Tanihenu Began Eden Amen. Today's daf is being studied the Ilun Shmat Meruhemet Mazal Bat Frida. Shenifteret Bekitzur Yamim Veshanim. Ruach Hashem Tanihenu Began Eden Amen. Today's daf is being studied the Fuach Shlema Hacham Avadia Yosef ben Gurgia and the Fuach Shlema for Elisheva. Bat Rifka Elisheva Rifka Bat Altun Ella Refanadahem Ella Refanadahem Ella Refanadahem For the Nefesh For the Guf Ufuatam Amen We begin today's Daf on number Hey Amud Bet Starting three lines From the bottom With the words Niklaf We learned in Al Mishnah Regarding the Etrog If the Etrog Was Niklaf Meaning it was peeled That means the Etrog's Outer layer That's the shiny Yellow skin On the outside Of the Etrog If it becomes Comes peeled, so the Mishnah says that the etrog is pasul. So now the Gemara starts to explain. Gemara says, "Amarava hai etroga." This etrog, the aglid, that became peeled, keahina sumka, and becomes reddened like a uh, red uh, uh, date. So the Mishnah, the Gemara says, "Name of Rava kishera." This type of uh, etrog is indeed kishera, which means by taking out the outer layer of the etrog, so now the uh, next layer is a greenish color. When that greenish uh, color turns uh, red, so the like a, like a date, the Gemara is telling us that it is still kishera. Now if you look in your picture books, uh, we're using the Ahod Vahadar version, picture number Kuf Samich, you see what happens when you start to peel it, it gets a reddish color to it. So the Gemara is telling you that even so, it is still Kishirah. So comes the Gemara and says, what do you mean? What are you talking? We learned in our Mishnah that if the Yitrog becomes peeled, it is Pasul. So the Gemara says, La Kashia. No question. Depends how much of the Yitrog is peeled. So that she says, Bechula Kasher, top line in Ashi, the Mixata Pasul de Minumaru. Which means if it's partly peeled, meaning it's spotted, so then it's going to be Pasul because it looks like uh, Minumar, a spotted Etrog. And that she's going according to his opinion that a spotted Etrog is Pasul because it lacks the Hadar. It's not beautiful. But if the whole thing is peeled, so therefore it's all, um, it's all peeled. That would be picture number Kuf Samir Gimal. 
you see the Yitrog is totally uh, peeled. If you look at picture Kuf Samikdali, you see it's partially peeled, it's spotted. So according to Rashid, that's going to be uh, Pasul. Now, it should be noted that the Rishonim, I should say the majority of the Rishonim, argue on Shitat Rashid. And they want to say the exact opposite. Habichula is Pasul. And Miksata is Kashir. Meaning if the entire Etrog is peeled on its outer layer, it's Pasul. And they bring a good proof from a Gemara coming up later on uh, by the Tarfiyot of an animal. We're going to see later on that certain things that make an animal Tarif also render an Etrog Pasul. If a similar type of Pasul happened to the Etrog. One of the things that render an animal Tarif is if all of its outer skin becomes peeled. So therefore, similarly, if the entire skin of the Yitrog becomes peeled off, it should be like the tarfiyot of an animal that should be pasul. So that's the opinion of those Rishonim. We continue. Nizdak Nikav. Now, we learned in the Mishnah, if the Yitrog either is Nizdak, Nizdak means the Yitrog split, or Nikav, meaning it begot a hole. There was a hole in the Yitrog, and the Mishnah said it was lacking a culture. Which means by the hole, it was causing the Yitrog to be defective, even a drop. So the Mishnah said, Pasul. However, if it has a hole, Veloni Kav Kolchiu, where it's not lacking anything from the Yitrog, the Mishnah says, Kashir. So now we're discussing the law of Nikav. So the Gemara says, Tane, we have a Braita. Ula Bar Hanina. The name of Ula Bar Hanina, Nikav. If let's say the Etro got a hole, Nekev Mefulash. That's a hole that goes through. Now what does through mean? So most Rishonim learn it actually goes through the Etro. They have a needle. It enters one side of the Etro and comes out the other side. If you look in your uh, picture books, not that you need a picture to see such a thing, but it, it, it's obvious. Um, I thought we had a picture here, all the way down on Kuf Pedalid. You see the needle going all the way through the etrog. That would be uh, a naked mefulash. However, other Yishunim say no. To be mefulash doesn't have to actually come through the other side. So long as it pierces the layers of the etrog and goes all the way to the inside of the etrog, where let's say the, the lemony part of the etrog is where the juice is, that's already considered a naked mefulash. So however you're learning, the deen is like this. Nikav nekev mefulash b'mashehu, which means then the shiur is even a mashu, even a, a a drop, which means the shiur of psul is even a mashu. She'enu mefulash, but if you have a nekev, a hole, the needle that's put through that doesn't go all the way through, then already the deen is bich isar, the size of an isar. Isar is a type of coin. Now, what is this gemara talking about? So let's read the Rashi. The Rashi says. Tani ula bar hinena. Top line of Dashi. Tani ula bar hinena. Anikab velo haser kae. This Gemara Kotishitat Dashi is going on the case where the uh, needle went through the etrog, but it's not lacking anything, which means the etrog did not become haser. The machshir, Tana de Matnitin, the Tana de Mishnasar is kashir. The Atta hai Tana de Mar. Now the Tana of the Braita comes along and says, The imi fulashu mitzido litzido, if the needle goes through from one side to the other, pasul benekev kotshu, afilu shilmahat, which means the Hadush of Rashi is a tremendous humrah over here. Even though the etrog is not lacking anything, but if the needle goes through the entire etrog, etrog is pasul, even though the etrog is shalem, 
Still, it's pasul. Venekiv she'eno mefulash, but let's say you have a nekiv that does not penetrate the entire etrog, bichisar. Then the shi'ud is the size of an isar. For example, let's say you have a, uh, a, a, a mold that's the size of an isar, and you, right, you penetrate the etrog, and now you have like a, a quarter size hole in the etrog, but it's not lacking anything. The whole etrog is there. That doesn't add pasul. So if it goes through, then already doesn't matter. Even the size of a cold shoe, a pin needle, the etrog is pasul, even if it's not lacking anything. But if it's not going all the way through, so then the shoot is an isar. And that's what she says. Let's say you have a yated, a... Um, a, uh, a, 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 a stick that has at the end of it, let's say, a certain uh, width to it. Exactly. When Al Mishnah said that if you have a nekiv that's not mehaser from the etrog, that it's kasher, so that she said you have to say it's less than the size of an isar and it's eno mefulash and it's not going all the way through. Again, because if it went all the way through, it's pasul according to Rashi. If it's the size of an isar, it's pasul. So you have to say the case of the Mishnah that said a nekev that's in the etrog, that's not causing the etrog to be haser, you have to say it has two qualities. Number one, it's not the size of an isar, and it's not penetrating the entire uh, uh, width of the, or length of the, uh, or through, I should say, of the etrog. Now that's shitat Rashi. I must point out, Adri Shonim learned this Braita differently. They learned the cases going back on the Resha of the Mishnah. The Resha of the Mishnah was talking about a case where you have a hole in the Etrog that's causing the Etrog to be lacking. So if you have a Nekev in the Etrog, that the Nekev takes out some of the Etrog, it's going to be Pasul. And on that, the Braita says that that's uh, talking about where the Nekev is Mefulash. Which is the only time that you say if the etrog is lacking something, that's pasul, that's only if the needle went all the way through. However, if it's not mefulash, then it's only going to be as soon as the shoot of a kolchu. I'm, I'm sorry, the shoot of an isa. So again, let's review the second shitad rishonim. The second shitad rishonim learns this bright by going on the beginning of the Mishnah. The beginning of the Mishnah said what? If you have a nekiv in the etrog, and the nekiv causes the etrog to be lacking, it's taking out a piece of the etrog, pasul. For that, the Braitha says, that's only talking about where the nekiv went all the way through, where the needle went through the etrog. Mm-hmm. However, if the needle doesn't go through the etrog, then the shiur of lacking is going to be an isar, which is a tremendous kula, which comes out over here, you can have a piece of the etrog, Missing, so long as it doesn't go all the way through, up to the shiur of an isar. So those are the two shitot that should be noted. Both these shitot are brought down in the Shohan Aruch. The shitav Rashi and the shitav Rishoni that we just mentioned. These are actually the shitav Avad and the uh, Ritba. Okay, now we go further on to the Gemara. Ba'e Rava. Rava, the question. Noldu ba'etrog simane terefa mahu. Let's say the etrog develops signs that would render an animal a terefa. Let's review the laws of animals. After a shochet slaughters an animal, he must check the inside of the animal's organs to make sure they're all unblemished. Now, there's Masichet Cholim discusses all the different blemishes that would render an animal taref. So now, we know an animal uh, is not related to an etrog. 
But the Gemara is saying that if the Yitrog has similar blemishes, which we'll see now, that are defined by an animal, the question is, are they going to render the Yitrog pasul or not? Let's read Nashi's language. Simane terefa. The Gebra is going to explain. So the Gebra gives the first example. What's your case? Give me the example. Well, if you're referring to the law of Niklath, well, we learned that already in Amishnah. What's the law of Niklath? The law by an animal is if the skin, say the, uh, the skin of the animal, the cow, is totally uh, uh, stripped. So all now you just see is the uh, you know the thin layer of flesh of the animal. You see in your picture books on number kuf pechet, right? You see the outer skin of the animal was peeled off, and now you just have like the like the redness, and you're closer to its inside, right? Halakha says that if the entire flesh is skinned, the animal is tarif. However, if a little is left over, it's kasher. Why? Because from that little flesh, that's, the skin that's left over, it'll regenerate, and it'll grow back. So similarly, we have to say that the law would apply to an itrog. That what? That if the entire flesh was uh, peeled, so then it would be tarif, uh, or pasul, but if part of it was left over, it would be kashir. But that's only according to the Rishonim that we learned. But according to Rashi, Rashi in the Gemara we just learned above, learned the opposite. He said that if it's totally skinned by an etrog, it's kashir. And if it's partially uh, uh, skinned, then already it's peeled, it's considered minumat, and it's going to be pasul. So Rashi has to say that in this case of the skinning of the animal, it's not similar to the case of etrog. Whereas by an animal, if it's totally skinned, it'll be tarif, but according to Rashi, a totally skinned, peeled etrog would be kasher. That's why it's a little difficult to understand Shittat Rashi. Because we're comparing the tarfiyot and etrog, here it's exactly the opposite. But anyway, the Gemara says, Ravah could not have been talking about the case of skinning, a peeled, uh, peeled etrog, because that's already the law of the Mishnah. Ravah must have been introducing something that is a hadush outside the Mishnah. So the Gemara says, In Nisdak, uh, so maybe he's discussing the case of Nisdak, What's the case of Nisdak? So that she says, Tehainu kula, which means we're talking about the the windpipe of the animal. If you look in your picture books in Kuf Samich Vav, okay, that would be like the uh, windpipe of the animal that gets a crack down the center of it. Okay, so the law is if the animal's uh, pipe becomes Split, the animal is indeed a terefa. So therefore the Gemara wants to say, so maybe the same thing will apply to an etrog. That by your etrog, if it's split uh, down the middle, I meaning it's cut in half practically, has a, a, a crack down the center, so that's also going to be uh, uh, taref. Uh, so the Gemara says, Tarina, what are you talking about? We learned that already. We learned in the Mishnah that if you have an Edrog, that's Nisdak, that's split down the uh, center, it is going to be Pasul. So therefore, it cannot be referred to that case as well. Now, there's a, uh, according to the law of an animal, uh, the law of the animal is that if it's split down the middle, like you see in this picture over here, but if part of it is attached, the animal is not Tarif. By an animal, for the animal to be tarif, the whole entire pipe has to be split from the top 
to the bottom. And therefore they want to say the same thing would apply to an etrog. That for the etrog to be pasul, the skut has to be from top to bottom. Others want to argue and say, no, by etrog, even if the majority is split, it'll be a pasul. In any event, Rava must not have been talking about the law of Nistat. So the Gemara says, Inikav Tanina. <laughs> if he's talking about the law of Nikav, by the case of a taref, an animal, let's say the membrane that's on top of the brain of the animal is pierced. If there's a hole in it, for example, you see in your picture books in Kuf Samechzayim, you see the brain of the animal, and on top of the brain, right above the eye, there's a membrane, and if that membrane is pierced, so the animal becomes taref. Well, we know the law of Nikav already. That's the law of the Mishnah. The Mishnah discussed the parameters of Nikav. So the question of Gebra is Rava. What were you talking about? When you were trying to compare the laws of Taref to the laws of an Etrog, in which case were you referring to? So the Gebra says, Ki kame Regarding the lungs of an animal, that its inner flesh uh, became uh, uh, liquefied and fell inside the cavity of the lung. Jeez, if you see in your uh, picture books over here, uh, you see uh, in Kufsa Mechtet, uh, you have the lungs of the animal. Now, inside the cavity of the lungs themselves, you have flesh. Now, sometimes the animal gets a certain blemish or something, and that flesh decomposes, and now falls into the lungs like water. So the deen is, if the flesh decomposes, the lung is still considered, or the animal is still considered kashir. So we want to say a similar thing by an etrog. By the etrog, it would be the white uh, part of the etrog. Let's review what the etrog is. You have an outer layer, that's the yellow. Then you have a second layer, which is green. Then past the green, you have the white. That's the thickness, the thick part of the inside of the etrog. That would be considered the flesh of the etrog. So we're giving a case where, let's say, the flesh of the etrog became decayed and became liquefied. So we want to say, just like by an animal, if the inside flesh of the lung became liquefied, the lung is still kasher, so too if the white peel of the etrog became liquefied somehow, so the etrog will still be kasher. So the Gemara wants to say, Rava said, that which we said that the lung is kasher when the flesh decomposes, that so long as the simponaha are still around, it's kasher. Now what is the simponaha? I think they call those the, uh, the air ducts, which means, or the bronchial tubes. You see in the... Uh, Picture over here of Samichted. You see like a bronchial tubes coming out of the uh, lung or in the lung itself. So as long as the bronchial tubes are intact, even though some of the flesh around them decomposes, the lung is still considered kasher. However, ha lo kaime simponaha. But if the simponaha, if those bronchial tubes also decomposed, terefa. So therefore, the Gebara wants to say, that's the law of an animal. Ha-cha-mai. What's the law by the etrog? Which means, uh, the white fleshy part of the etrog would be considered the basar, and then the uh, lemony part, that's oh. the juice, the pulp, that would be considered like the bronchial tubes. 
So therefore the Gemara wants to know if let's say the white fleshy part of the Yitrog decomposes, would you say that as long as the pulp is still there, it's kasher like the animal or not? So the Gemara says, what's the question? My Dilma Hatam Hu Shalit Ba'avira which is by the lungs, you know why it's kasher? Because the inside of the lungs is not exposed to air. And therefore, hadar bari, when the flesh decomposes, since it's not exposed to the air, it'll regenerate and the animal will become healthy. Abal but by the case of the etrog, tishalit ba'avira, meaning the air that affects the outer part of the etrog, is going to affect the inside of the etrog. And therefore what's going to happen? It's going to cause the etrog to become decomposed. And uh, and uh, it's going to become spoiled. Which is a hadush. Even though we're talking about the inside of the etrog over here. We're talking about the white. No air is coming in contact with the inside of the etrog. But it seems the etrog is porous. And therefore the air on the outside of the etrog is going to affect... When this fleshy part, the inside of the etrog decomposes, could be the whole etrog is going to spoil. So if it's different than the law of the taref animal. Or dilma lo Or maybe there's no difference. I mean, that was Rabah's question. So when we go back to Rabah's original question, we have to define it. He was saying like this. He was discussing one case. When you have an etrog that is white uh, flesh, decomposed, and the pulp is still there, are you going to say it's kasher or pasur? What is it dependent on? It's dependent, do you compare it to a taref animal? By a taref animal, if you have the flesh of the lung that became watery, but you still have the bronchial tubes around, the animal's okay. But if the animal's bronchial tubes are also decomposed, the animal's considered a taref. So the question is over here, well, since I have the white fleshy part of the etrog around, well, no, that became deteriorated, but I still have the pulp around, so maybe I can say it's kasher. Or maybe I argue and say, no, since the air can affect it, maybe it's going to be pasul. So the Gabbana says, tashema. Come, I'll bring you a proof from a brighter. Etrog tafuach, saruach, kavush, shaluk, kushi, lavan, menumar, pasul. All the following types of itrogim are pasul. Well, let's go to the first one. Tafuah and saruah. We're going to wait for the Gemara to explain it. That's what Ashid tells us. Wait for the definitions of tafuah and saruah. Kavush, that's an itrog that was pickled. They pickled it either in vinegar or in uh, mustard. So the deen is that that's going to be pasul. Shaluk means you boiled it in water for a long time. Boiling water. Kushi, that would be a black etrog that comes from Ethiopia. Lavan would be a white etrog. Umenumar, menumar would be an etrog that has spots on it, a spotted etrog. Pasul. So all those types of etrogim are going to be pesulim. Now, etrog kechadur, if you have an etrog in the shape of a ball, around the the etrog, Pasul. Why? Because that's not the normal shape of an etrog. The Yeshomrim Atachiyom. That would be Siamese etrogim. If you look in your picture books, you see a case of Siamese etrogim. That would be on number Kufte Aleph. You have two etrogim that actually grew together with one stem. Right? One bottom, one orchid. You have two etrogim connected to each other. 
So also the din is what? That's pasul. Etrog haboser. What is etrog haboser? Right, that's the Siamese. That's the tiyom. Pasul. Well, this one has two steps. Okay, fine. So it's connected. That's the point. It's connected. Now, I was looking at my picture. If you look at the picture in the art scroll, it shows a little different. It shows it has one stem, and it's connected uh, together. So obviously you have a mahlokan over here, how to make the, uh, the picture over here. Okay? In any event, the next case is, etrog haboser. What is etrog haboser? So we have a mahlokan, we shouldn't have to define etrog haboser. That she learns, let's read it inside that she. Boser katan kefuda laban. You have a tiny etrog, the size of a fool. The fool is a bean. Tiny etrog. So the deen is what? Etrog aboser, Rabbi Akiba poser, Rabbi Akiba says pasul, pachamim makshirim. Hachim say kasher. Now, the Tosafot does not accept Rashi's opinion over here. Why? Because we learned earlier the mahlokat on the minimum size of an etrog. The mahlokat is either the size of an egg or the size of a nut. Now you tell me you have a third opinion, the size of a, a fool. How come the Mishnah didn't discuss this uh, this opinion? So for that reason, if you look at the um, uh, the Tosafot on the bottom, he argues on Nashi, and he wants to learn that when it says etrog boser, it means it's the size of an egg. Meaning we're not discussing the size; we're discussing the ripeness of the etrog, which means a full halavan is uh, is a very small bean. Now, grapes that are undeveloped, uh, they uh, uh, have, uh, they're not ripened, so it's called boser. An undeveloped grape is called boser. So we're saying that if the etrog has the right size, but in its development, it's like boser, meaning it's underdeveloped, so that's why we have a mahlokit between uh, Hachamim and Rabbi Akiva. So let's review that mahlokit. According to Rashi, an etrog of boser means it's the size of a boser, of a small grape. Tosfot doesn't like that opinion, because Tosfot is what it means, small grape. We never saw an opinion of small grape. The Mahloka was Betza or Egoz. So therefore Tosfot learns, no, we're talking about it's a normal size, you're talking about it's, it's not ripened, meaning it's ripened like a boser, meaning it's underdeveloped like a small grape. Next case, Gidelo Badefus. Let's say you uh, put a, uh, a defus, which would be like a... Um, a um, a uh, 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 a mold, and you put the mold on the etrog while it was on the tree, which means now the etrog is growing in a certain mold to become a certain shape. So the Gemara says, "Gidelo badefus vaasao kimin biriyah eret pasul." Jeez, let's say you had a mold of a certain uh, shape, it's a non-etrog shape, and you stuck it in the uh, etrog when it's growing on the tree. You have a case over here where uh, they actually put a, uh, a bottle. If you look at your picture, they put a bottle in the etrog when it's growing on the tree, and it causes it to get an abnormal shape of an etrog. So the uh, deen is, that's also going to be pasu. Okay, now that we got the braita, let's the go back. Is, well, the shape is good. well, this case over here actually doesn't look so bad. But can it add that when it continues to grow, it's going to fill into the bottle, and it's going to look like a uh, cylindrical uh, etrog. I, uh, correct. Now. The shape is good, it's good. Correct. As long as it looks like an etrog, it's okay. That's what the Gemara says. Kimin uh, It looks like another uh, shape. Now, Pasu. Now we analyze the Blaita. Katanimiyat, we have a partial quotation of the Blaita. Tafuah saruah. We're going to try to analyze the first terminology of the Blaita. What's an etrog? Tafuah and saruah. 
my love must be tafuah mibachutz. Tafuah means the etrog became decayed from the outside. Vesaruah mibifnim. And saruah means it became decayed from the inside. And what did the Mishnah say? What did the Brayta say regarding tafuah and saruah? Pasul. Now what are we assuming tsaruah is? That the white part of the etrog became watery. It became liquefied. Oh, so now we answered our question. Our question was, if the white skin of the etrog becomes liquefied, is the etrog kasher or not? So we're saying, here you go. Etrog saruah. What does saruah mean? Saruah is exactly that case. Tafuah is the outside becomes decayed. Saruah is the inside becomes decayed. So when it becomes decayed, we've answered our question of Ravah. So Gemma says, no, you have no proof. Who told you to interpret the words Tafuah and Saruah like that? No. The words Tafuah and Saruah are referring to uh, abnormalities outside of the Yitrog. Ha de Tafah afalgav de lo Sarah. Ha de Sarah afalgav de lo Tafah. There's a case of tafah without sarah, and there's a case of sarah without tafah. But both are referring to the outside of the etrog. Nothing to do with the inside. Now let's define the terminologies. Let's read Rashi. Let's read Rashi. Lo tafah afagav de lo sarah, sarah afagav de lo tafah. Tafah, Rashi says, in pila belaz kegon, shenaflu geshamim betalush. Let's say some water fell on the outside of the etrog after it was picked off the tree, v'tafah, and what happened to the etrog as a result of it? V'tafah, it became uh, bloated, it became um, uh, uh, swollen as a result of the water. Sarah nirkav, and sarah means it became spoiled, so therefore, tafah is pasu, once you have the outside of the etrog swollen, even though it didn't decay yet, or you have decay without swollen, it's going to be pasul. That's the first shitab rashi. Again, tafah, afagab de lo sarah. If it became swollen, even though it did not decay, or sarah afapishelo tafah, or became decayed, even though it did not become swollen, pasul. But common denominator between two cases, we're not talking about the inside of the throat. Could be if the inside, the white part of the etrog fell apart, could be the etrog is still kasher. Tafah and sarah are only dinim on the outside of the etrog. Next peshat nashi, lishna harina, tafah nirkav. According to the second interpretation of nashi, tafah means the etrog became deteriorated, and sarah rehora, it became malodorous, a bad smell, mahmat tola'im sha'akluhu, because of the worms that ate through it. But bottom line, whatever opinion you're learning, how to learn tafah and sarah, it's all on the outside of the etrog, not on the inside. The Gabaran continues, Amar Mor, we had a statement, etrog kushi, we said an etrog that comes from Ethiopia, right, it is kush pasul. Now these etrogim obviously are black, Etrogim. So the Gebran says, what are you talking about? Ve'atanya kushi, we have an etrog that's from kush, kasher. Domele kushi, pasul. But if you have an etrog that's not a real kushi etrog, it's similar to a kushi, 
Meaning it's a knockoff of a kushi that is pasul. So the Gemara says, make up your mind. You tell me one place kushi is pasul. Another place you tell me kushi is kasher. Gemara's answer, Amar Abaye, kitenan namim matnitin domer kushi tenan. Which is when the Mishnah said kushi is pasul, it wasn't referring to the kushi etrog. It means a domer kushi. Which means the knockoff kushi etrog is pasul. That's what the, so when you go back to your Mishnah, and you read in the Mishnah, etrog hakushi pasul, you have to learn it, etrog that's similar to the kushi etrog is pasul, but the actual kushi etrog is kasher. So the Gemara says, but what do you mean? We have a statement that says the etrog kushi is pasul. Have, make up your mind. Is the, you, you told me the dome is pasul. Okay, good. But now we have a contradiction between kushis themselves. So the Gemara says, Rava Amar. Rava says no, la kasha. Rava gives a different answer. Halan vehalihu. Rava gives a very interesting answer. Rava says like this. For the people of Bavel, Etrog HaKushi is Kasher. For the people of Erish Israel, Etrog HaKushi is Pasul. Why? Wow, what should be the difference? It seems, quite Rashi, Bavel was closer to Ethiopia. And since Bavel was closer to Ethiopia, they were used to such Etrogim that were black. And therefore for them, it was considered normal. But for Eretz Israel, where they were not used to these etrogim, because Kush is far from them, so this etrog was uh, was an eyesore to them. It wasn't uh, common to them. Unnatural. So therefore, for them, it's unnatural. So therefore, it's pasul. So it comes out, the Gemara is giving two answers over here. The Gemara's contradiction, again, was like this. It says in the Mishnah that we learned etrog kushi pasul. We have a statement in the Braita etrog kushi kasher. How do you square off the contradiction? Two answers. Abaye's answer... The Mishnah that said Pasul was not talking about a Kushi Etrog. It was talking about a Domele Kushi. Second answer. Rava says no. Both the Mishnah and the Brighton were talking about the real McCoy, the real Kushi Etrog from Ethiopia. Oh, so I can make up your mind. Once it's Kashi, once it's Pasul. Different locales. The Mishnah that said Pasul, that was referring to the usage of it in Eris Israel. Because since they're not used to it, so therefore to them, it's not considered a normal Etrog, and therefore it's Pasul. However, in Bavel, where they're used to getting such a drink, because it's closer to Ethiopia, so therefore it's going to be... Kashe, that's the two answers of Abaye and Rava. Comes Gibran continues. Etrog. Actually, let's just read that in Nashi, please. Halan Vehalehu. Let's see Nashi on the second wide line in Nashi. Leola Matnitin Kushe Namipasul. Really, our Mishnah was talking about a regular Kushi Etrog. Vela Kashe Matnitin Levdehiris Israel. Shirehokim Meiris Kush. Right, the people of Eris are far away from Eris Kush, and they're not accustomed to it. But Aita, Babel, referring to the people of Babel, But everybody agrees that the Nidme, the one that grows outside of Ethiopia, that looks like a Kush Yetrog, everybody says that that Yetrog is Pasul, because that's a Nidme. Now we go to the next case, Etrog HaBoser. You have an etrog that's underdeveloped. Rabbi Akiva posel, machshirim. So what's the basis of this machlokim? So Gemara says, Amar Abba. Rabbi Akiva, the Rabbi Shimon, Amru Davarehad. Rabbi Akiva that said, etrog habose, that's a, according to Rashi, that's the small etrog. Right? That's just the size of a, uh, a bean. Right? So he says it's Pasul. So the Gemara wants to say that Bishimon also subscribes to this opinion. 
Rabbi Akiva had Amram. Rabbi Akiva, we just said that a, a throne that did not complete its uh, ripeness, it's going to be pasul. It's not considered a peri. That's the logic of Rashi. What's the pasul over here? If it doesn't reach a certain size or a certain maturity, it's not called a peri. And the Torah says for the throat, it's got to be a peri, it's hadar. Now the Gemara is going to show Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Shimon Mayhi. That now we learned in Mishnah in Ma'asurot. Rabbi Shimon poter eta etrogin bekotnam. Which means we have a law that on fruit you have to give ma'asur, you have to give 10% to the levi. Rabbi Shimon says, in etrog, that's very small, meaning it did not yet develop fully yet, it's not considered a pity. And as long as it's not considered a pity yet, it's going to be exempt from the obligation of ma'asir. So again, the Bishma'on that says, mikotnan. Or I should say, bikotnan. When they are small. So you see what? That both Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Shimon discussed the small etron. Which means the Gemara wants to say like this. It's the same opinion. The Gemara is assuming that just like Rabbi Shimon will say, that a small etrog is exempt from ma'asir, because it's not a peri, you will not be able to use that small etrog either for sukkot, because it's not a peri. The Gebra is trying to link Rabbi Shem'on and Rabbi Akiva's opinion together. Even though they were talking about two different things. Rabbi Akiva was talking about the obligation of etrog for sukkot, and uh, Rabbi Shem'on was talking about the obligation for ma'asir. But the Gebra wants to say it's all... Uh, it's all one and the same. So the Gemara says, Amar de Abaye. So Abaye comes along and says, No, Dilma Lohi. Who told you to link these two opinions? Ad Kardo Kamar Biakiva Hacha, Tibainan Hadar, Veleka. Which means maybe I'll tell you the whole reason why the Biakiva says the small etrog is not Kashir, not because it's not a pity. Maybe because it's not pretty, it's not beautiful. But maybe when it comes to Ma'asir, they'll say, yeah, even a smaller throat is Chayav in Ma'asir because it's considered a peri. In a meh, why go the other way? Ad kano ka'amar bishimon hatam, ela dikhtiv asir ta'asir et kultivu ad zarecha. By the law of Ma'asir, the Torah says you have to give Ma'asir on the wheat of your field that can produce more wheat. It doesn't say tivuah, it says tivuat zar'echa. Tivuah that grows, that grew a certain development, where if you take the seeds of that wheat, it'll produce more. So it says, And therefore, maybe the Bishimon, you know why he says the small etrog is not hayav in ma'asin? Because such a small etrog, the seeds of that etrog are not developed enough to grow more etrogim. And by ma'asir, the Torah says, Tivu'at zar'icha. However, avalacha, but by the case of Sukkot, kerabanan svirale. Could be the whole that an etrog that's small is indeed kasher. Which is the Gevara is trying to say like this. You want to link Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Shimon? Who told you to link them? Why? I'll say like this. Rabbi Akiva... He said a small etrog, like a bose, like a little grape, no good. You know what I'll tell you why no good? Because it's not nice. And the Torah says etrog's got to be hadar. But when it comes to ma'asir, maybe even a small etrog, you have to give ma'asir. Who says? And you know what? I go the other way now. Rabbi Shimon that said that a small etrog is patur for ma'asir, that's only because he holds that to be hayav and ma'asir, it's got to have seeds that are able to produce 
more fruit. And a small etrog like that does not have seeds that can produce more fruit. But maybe by etrog for Sukkot, maybe a small etrog is kasher. So therefore, just because they said one law by Maaser and one law by Sukkot, do not link the cases together. Now we must read the bottom nashi together. Look at the bottom nashi on the daf. Shibne Adam Mutsim Nizri'ah. According to Rabbi Shimon, you only hayav in Maaser on a fruit that its seeds are able to be planted and produce fruit. Peri ha'asui lismawah. Ve'lo mashka hatla ela bebishel kosurko. And you only find that in a fruit that fully developed, ripened. Ve'ad nakat etrogin. Now, she asked the side question. Why did the Mishnah there only discuss small etrogin? If the point of the Mahloket is fruit that's small, that its seeds cannot produce more, you could have discussed any fruit for that matter. Why did the Mishnah over there in Maaser only discuss Etrogim? So that she says, Which because the rabbis that argue in the Bishamon only argue in two cases. On Etrogim and Tapuhin is apples. Which is the reason why the rabbis hold Yahayab on Maaser, on a small etrog, because they hold a small etrog is edible, it's considered food. And of course, once it becomes developed, it's considered food. Apples also, small apples, according to the rabbis, is considered food. And therefore, it's going to be Hayav in Maaser. So long as it starts off food and ends off food, if it doesn't start off as food, Ha'etrogim va'tapuchim Regarding etrogim and tapuchim Hayavim ben gedolim ben ketanim Which is according to hachamim A small etrog is considered food A small apple is considered a food A peri and therefore it's going to be hayav Upalik Rabbi Shimon alayu betrogim Rabbi Shimon says no, etrogim I argue on you You know why? Even though you want to call it a peri But bottom line, since the seeds of a small etrog Cannot reproduce more etrogim No hayuv ma'asir Umodu betapuchim but they agree when it comes to uh, apples. Why? Interesting. Apples, as she tells us, small apples, even though they're not ripened yet, the seeds will produce more apples. And therefore, the only mahalot between the Bishimon and Hachanim is by Etrogim. Again, by a uh, apples. The Hindush is even a small apple, it can produce more apples. Therefore, the Bishma must say, Hayav and Maser. Now, by Etrogim, that's where you have the Mahloket. Because Etrogim that are small, Hakamim must say it's considered a fruit. Hayav and Maser. The Bishma must say, yeah, it's a fruit, but it cannot produce more. And the Pasuk says, Tibu'at Zara'icha. Therefore, you're going to be exempt. Now, everybody will agree, for example, let's say a very small, not everybody will agree, let's say a very small apple, mini apples, that cannot produce more. Apples, even the Bishmam will say you patur from Maaser. So it comes out the basic principle in this law of Maaser is, according to the Bishmam, the fruit to be Hayav in Maaser has to be able to reproduce. How does the fruit reproduce? Take the seeds out of it, replant them. If it's not going to replant, you're off the, you're patur. Hachamim say no. So long as considered edible, I don't care if it's small, you're going to be Hayav, even though it cannot. Reproduce and the main mahluk is that going to be by etrogim because etrogim are small that are small 
do not have the ability to reproduce, the Fadimishman is made patur, whereas Hachamim are going to say is Hayav in Maser. Comes the Gemara and says, Betulamidi, end of subject, which means, do not link Rabbi Shimon to Rabbi Akiva, and Rabbi Akiva to Rabbi Shimon, the two Mahlokot are non-related. Now the Gemara continues, Gedelo Bedefus, that's a Yigvudi Etrog in a mold. And it became like a different uh, uh, image, not like the Etrog. That's as long as it grew like a different uh, species that doesn't look like an Etrog. However, if you put an Etrog mold into the uh, Etrog and it grew to be like an Etrog, of course it's going to be Kasher. The right that clearly said that if the mold has a different shape, of course, if it's the shape of the throne, of course, it's going to be kasher. We're talking where you put a mold of the throne that looks like the water mill. Now, the water mill, it's like a windmill. Uh, it has, uh, actually, you want to see a picture of the water mill? You see over here in picture number Kufsadi. It's like a regular mill that has. Uh, a wheel with slats, you know, coming across, like a regular with spokes, you know, coming across the wheel. So if you put a, a, a type of mold on the uh, etrog, that causes the etrog to have now uh, lines going across it. That would be like, um, that would be picture F. Number kufpetet, dape dape. It has like lines going across. You see the etrog over here? It's got these like lines, like the lines of the the spokes of the uh, water mill. It's kashir. The hadush that this is considered looking like an etrog, even though it has the pe, the pe, even though it has the you know indentations and the lines uh, coming uh, outside of them. Okay, we continue to get on. Itmar etrog shenekabu akbarim. Okay, you have an etrog that the mouth, the mice nibbled at it. Okay, with their teeth. Amarav in Zehadar. Rabbi says, I'm sorry, this etrog is pasul, it's not considered hadar, it's not beautiful. Ini, we have a contradiction. What do you mean? We have a story that Nebuchadnezzar used to eat part of his etrog, used to dip the etrog in like gravy, take a bite out of it, and he used to use it for his mitzvah. So the question is, what do you mean? You just told me, Rav, that if the mice eat it, nibble away at it, the etrog is pasul. But the Hanina himself used to bite out of his etrog, and they used to use it. Now I want to point out, you must say that he used to bite out of the etrog before he designated it as his etrog. Once you designate it as your etrog, it's muksef akhira. You don't have to eat from it. So most people are talking about, let's say he took out a bite out of it before the holiday, before it was designated for etrog, and then he would use it for the holiday, but make up your mind. If it's nibbled, is it kashir or not? So the Gebra says, hold it. Ulrabi Hanina Kasha Matnitin. What are you talking about? How could you say that the Hanina used the Netrog with a bite out of it? Didn't we learn in our Mishnah that if the Netrog is missing a little piece, it's Pasul? So, how do you square off the Hanina with our Mishnah? So the Gebra says, Pishlama Matnitin Rabbi Hanina la Kasha. I can answer it. Kan bi Yom Tov Rishon, Kan bi Yom Tov Sheni. The Mishnah that said when you have an etrog that's not complete, that it's pasul, that's only talking about on the first day of the holiday. Why? Why does a etrog have to be complete? Because the Torah says, Ukahtem lachem. 
What does the word ukahtem teach us? That it has to be lekiha tama. It has to be a complete taking. And a drug that's lacking, that has a hole in it, is not tama, it's not complete. Ukahtem lachem. Now, when is the law of ukahtem written? On the first day, ukahtem lachem bayom harishon. Therefore, if you have an etrog on the first day, it's got to be nice. When was Abhanina using his bitten etrog? On the second day. Second day is no problem. So then we can square off Abhanina with the Mishnah. The Mishnah was talking about its pasu on the first day. Abhanina would use his bitten etrog on the second day. But the Gemara says, Ela lirav kasha. But the Mishnah is going to be a question against Rav. Why? Why did Rav say if an etrog that's bitten by mice is no good? He didn't say not because it's not complete. He said because it's not hadar. It's not pretty. Now as she tells us, the law of pretty is a seven day law. The law of ulkahtem is a one day law. Ulkahtem lachem bayom arishon. But hadar is a seven day law. So the question then is, Al Mishnah said if the etrog is lacking, it's going to be what? The Mishnah is lacking, the Mishnah says the etrog is pasul. And what does Rab say? Rab says, etrog shnakavu akrabim, amarav enze hadar. Which means, which is like this. According to Rab, how can you fulfill your obligation on the second day with an etrog that had the, uh, the nibbling of the, the mice? Because bottom line, hadar is a seven day item. According to Rav Hanina, I understand what you did. You used your etrog on day two. No problem with Mishnah. But according to you, Rav, you're saying the issue of the mice is a hadar issue. If it's a hadar issue, so it's going to be pasul all seven days. So you can't answer me that it's talking about that you use it on the uh, second day. If it's a hadar issue, it's pasul all seven. So comes again and says, Amalekha Rav, Shani Akhbarim Dimeise. Etrogim are different. I'm sorry. Mice are different. Why? Because when a mice eats from an etrog, it becomes disgusting, and therefore it's not hadar, and therefore it'll be pasul all seven days. But when a human bites from the etrog, it'll be kashir on the second day, because it's still considered hadar. So therefore, let's review according to, comes out according to this answer. If a mice bites from the etrog, the etrog is pasul the whole holiday. Finish. It's not hadar, the etrog is over. If a human being bites on the etrog on the first day, pasul, on the subsequent days, you don't have to have the kihataba. Oh, but it's not hadar. It is hadar. When a human being bites on it, it's not so disgusting. But a, a mice bite, it's going to be pasul all seven days. So that's how we square off all the opinions. Good? Comes the Gemara and says, Ika de Amre. Another interpretation. Amar Rav. Zehadar. Exact reversal. Rav said when the mice nibbles from the etrog, it is hadar. It's kosher. And Rav brings a proof from himself. What's my proof? Rav used to bite out of his etrog and use it. Which is according to this version, Rav is saying there's no difference between a bite from a mouse or a bite from a human being. So the government, what do you mean? According to the how can you use an etrog that has a bite in it? The Mishnah said it's pasul. Answer, la kashya. Kambi yom tov rishon, 
So comes out according to the second version, even a mice bite out of an etrog would be kasher on the second days uh, of the holiday because it's still a uh, uh, it's no different than a human bite. So again, according to the first shot, when a mice bites from the etrog, it's pasul all holiday, not hadar. Human bite, different. Second day mutar. Second answer, no difference between mice and human beings. Bottom line, second day on, it'll be kasher. Now we go to the next case. Etrog katan. So what was the mahluk? What's the smallest etrog you can have? We had a mahluk between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda. What was the mahluk? One rabbi said the size of an egg was, the size of a nut. And one rabbi said the size of a, an egg. So Amar Afra Bar Papak, Mahloket Khan, just like we have a Mahloket over here in the size of an etrog, Kah Mahloket, Ba'abarim Kurzalot. We have a similar Mahloket in Masakat Shabbat regarding the sharp stones. What are we talking about? In the olden days, we used to go to the bathroom in the fields. They didn't have toilet paper. So how did they clean themselves? So we learned in Masakat Shabbat they had stones, certain sharp stones that they would clean themselves with. Now, these stones normally would be Mukseh. However, the hachamim allowed, because of kavodah beriyot, because a person for human dignity, to take stones with him into the Beit on Shabbat. Now again, either we're talking about an enclosed area, where he's not going to come to carry, or we're talking about in the Karmelit, where he's only going to have to carry them less than four amot, where you're not going to transgress any isurim of carrying. But the Achamim discussed how many rocks did they allow you to take with you to the bathroom. So the Gemara says, Detanya, Bishabbat, Shalosh, Avarim, Mikruzalot, Mutal, Achnis, and Betaki said, Rabbi, I told you you can take three rocks with you. The Kamashir, and how big is each rock? Rabbi Miyomir, Kaegoz, Rabbi Yudamir, Kabesa. So they have look at same look at how big the rocks can be for you to take. According to the B, Be'iris, they can be the size of an Egoz, and that's considered uh, enough. I mean, you don't have to take a bigger rock than that. And according to the B, you don't know, you can even take a Shi'ur of a. Kabesa. What's the mahluk dependent on? How big is the rock in order to clean you? So therefore, they don't, they don't want to let you take more than you need. So the mahluk is on the size of the rock. Now, not that this has to do anything with the mahluk by etrog. There's no connection between the rocks of Mikur Zalot and etrog. The only connection is it's the same shi'ud. That's why the Gibraltar is giving you the, uh, the mahluk over here as well. Okay, Ubegadom. Now, we had a mahluk in the Mishnah. What's the biggest etrog you could use? So one rabbi said, as long as you can fit two of them in one hand, that's okay. The other rabbi said, as long as you can fit one in two hands. So the Gemara says, Tanya, Amar Rabbi Yosef. Rabbi Yosef is the one that says you can take the big etrog. One etrog in two hands. Amar Rabbi Yosef, Ma'asib Rabbi Akiva, one time there's a story with Rabbi Akiva, Sheba Lebeta Knesset ve'etrogo al ketefo. He had his etrog on his shoulder. He a giant etrog. So what is he trying to prove? You see, I'm right. That the etrog can be uh, gigantic. Amar lo Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda says, Misham ra'ayah. You're bringing a proof from that? Afem amrulo en zehadar. What do you mean? The rabbis uh, rebuked Rabbi Akiva. I told them, see your etrog? It's not hadar. You're not Yosef. So therefore, Rabbi Yosef, try to bring a proof from Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Yehuda says, ah, you forgot the end of the story. The rabbis rebuked Rabbi Akiva for bringing this gigantic etrog to the synagogue. You know, this is not hadar. And therefore, no proof. And now we move on to the next Mishnah. En ogdin etalulav ela bimino de Rabbi Yehuda. We learned earlier that the Biyuda is of the opinion that Lulav Sarikh Egin, that the Lulav needs to be tied. So the Biyuda teaches us in this Mishnah that you can only tie the Lulav on a species of the Lulav, meaning a piece of the Hadas or the Lulav or the Arba. It's got to be its own species. Why? 
If you're going to use another species, it's going to be considered baltosif. You're adding to the mitzvah. Now instead of four species, you have five species. Because since the egg is a mitzvah, it's part of the lulav. Uh, so that's why he says you can only use mino. Rebimir says, He says you can even use a piece of linen string. And we'll see exactly why. The story of the men of Yerushalayim, they used to tie their lulavim with gold string. They had like gold lace string, they used to tie their trugim. So he's trying to prove that what? You don't have to have the same species. What's my proof? The people in Jerusalem used to use gold. So On the bottom, they used to tie it with its species. Then on top, they used to add some gold. But the main tie on the bottom was Bimino. So therefore, they have the Bimino trying to bring a proof that you don't need that Bimino. From the fact that they used gold, Achamim rejected and said that they used the species on the bottom. Now the Gibraltar says, Amar Rava. comes along and says, that which we say according to the Biuda, that you have to use its species, Afilu Besiv, you can even use the ivy that grows around the lulav tree, the palm tree. And you can even use strips of the bark of the lulav tree. Which means like this. You might have thought when we say it's species, you can use actually the species themselves. Now Rabbi is saying no, you can even use things that come from the lulav tree. Including the ivy that grows around it, or the bark itself. So comes the Gemara and says, What's the reason why the Biuda demands to have its own species in the time? Because he says, It's a mitzvah that do not be tied. And therefore, If you're going to take another species, it's going to be a fifth species, and it's going to be considered Baal, to see if you're adding to the mitzvah. Because according to the Biuda, the time is significant. That's part of the mitzvah. So the tying has to be one of the species. But if you're going to add to the tying a different species, that's already number five. Therefore it's going to be... How do I know? Okay, side question. You told me, Rava, that the ivy and the bark of the lulav tree is considered its species. How do you know that? So the Gemara says, the Tanya, we have a brighta. This is an interesting brighta. Pasukot Teshvu. Torah says you can sit in the Sukkot. Sukkah shall call davar. When the Torah says sit in the Sukkah, it means you can make the schach out of whatever you want. Meaning, not out of metal or things that are mekabel tumah, so long as it comes from the ground, and it's not mekabel tumah like we learned earlier, you can make your schach out of anything. But Sukkot Teshvu, according to this opinion, make your schach out of anything so long as it grows from the ground. That's the Bimi'ir's opinion. The Bimi'ir's opinion, no. Wow. You can only use for schach the four species. Meaning your schach has to be either lulav, etrog, hadas, or araba. And where does he learn this from? He makes a kava homer. He says like, I make a kava homer. Regarding lulav, it only applies in the day. You can only do the mitzvah of lulav in the day, not at the night. But what? The four species, you can only use the four species. Right? 
Sukkah shnoheget balilot kebayim. Sukkah which is more stringent than lulav, because Sukkah applies by day and by night. Enodin shnote ela tarvat aminim. Or the mosul can only be used by the four species. He's making an interesting kavanah. He's saying like this: If lulav which is lenient. Meaning that it can only be done in the day. And still you can only use the four species. Sukkah, which you have to be mahmiya, sukkah applies by day and by night. Or the more so you can only use for the schach, the four species. That's the skavahomer. So the Gebra says, what kind of skavahomer is this? Amrullah kol din. Dan. We have a rule. Any time that you learn a kavahomer, if in the beginning it comes out of stringency, but in the end it comes out of leniency, it's not a kavahomer, which means like this. By saying this kavahomer, Rabbi Yudah is making a stringency. What's a stringency? The fuschach you can only use the four species. That's a fantastic stringency. But you know what? It's going to come out of leniency. Let's say a guy now has a sukkah, he cannot find the four species. What are you going to tell the guy? Don't fulfill the mitzvah. So therefore, it's a type of stringency. The home is teaching you that what? Yuskach can only be four minim. Very good. But if you're going to tell a guy that, through your kadbah homer, you're coming out with a big leniency. How? You're going to tell a guy now, if you don't find the skach with four minim, don't sit in the sukkah. Hey, that's a big, uh, big kula that comes out of it. So the Gebarah says, Lo matzah arba'at minim, ye yoshebu batel, well, if a guy doesn't find four minim, you can tell the guy, don't sit in the sukkah, that Torah amra basukot teshvu shvat yamim. The Torah says, sit in the sukkah. When it says sukkah teshvu shvat yamim, the Gebra says, sukkah shil kodavar. Which means, the Torah's master, you can sit in the sukkah made of any type of schach. So how do you come along with your kalva homer biyuda and say only uh, uh, the four minim? In any event, that's the biyuda's opinion, by the way. Rabbi Yudah's opinion is only schach that's made for the four minim. So comes the Gemara and says, continuing Rabbi Yudah's opinion, V'chein b'sefer Ezra Omer. We have a pasuk in the book of Ezra. What does the pasuk say? Ezra Sufer was telling the Jewish people of Sukkot, Se'u ahar, go to the mountains, V'havi'u, go bring, Ale zayit, olive branches, Ale et shemen, balsam branches, Ale hadas, myrtle branches, Ale temarim, that's the palm branches. Ale etz avot, also uh, hadas branches. It says hadas twice. Etz avot is hadas. So one hadas, the Befashim says, referring to kosher hadasim. And one is referring to non-kosher hadasim, which we learned earlier is hadas shote. That's when you have the two leaves um, coming out of one stem and then one below it. So the first mention of the Pasuk, Ale hadas, is referring to hadas shote. And the second one that says, Ale Avot is referring to the Hadas of Kashir. But in any event, what was Ezra telling the people to collect all these branches for? So the Pasuk continues, La'asot Sukkot Kakatuf. In order to go make Sukkot. So what do you see from this Pasuk in Ezra? That you can use anything for Sakh. Because part of the things they were using was what? Ale Shemin. Balsam branches. And olive branches. So the Gebra is really asking a question according to Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda, you're the opinion that says you can only use for schach for minim. What are you talking? We got a pasuk in Ezra Sofer. He was telling the Jewish people, go collect all the branches you can to go make Sukkot. Hey Rabbi Yehuda, how do you learn this pasuk? He's like, I got no problem. Rabbi Yehuda sabar, hani ledefanot. Yeah, all the stuff that's not made from the lulav, you're using for the walls of the sukkah. 
Ale hadas ba'alit tamarim ba'alit tzavot eschach. And all the hadasim and all the uh, palm branches is for eschach. No problem, which is the pasuk in Azal is not a question. The stuff that's schachable, meaning the four uh, species, use it for eschach. And the stuff that's not kashir for eschach, he was talking about use it for the walls. We continue. Utnan, now Rabbi Yehuda says, Mesachechim bin sarin, tevei Rabbi Yehuda. One of the things that Rabbi Yehuda allows you to use for eschach is what? Wooden boards. Now I ask you, where are you going to get wooden boards from? It's got to come from a lulav tree. Because he only says you could use the four species. Correct? So by him saying you can use wooden boards for schach, the Gebara says, Alma, siv v'ikarad dekla minad lulavahu. We're forced to say that the things that grow around the palm tree are considered its species. What's the proof? Because he lets me use the, 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 the trunk itself. How do I know he lets me use the trunk itself? Because we know the beauty, two proofs, two, two, two stages. The Buddha says, you have to use the four species for schach. That's number one. Statement number two, he allows you to use wooden boards for schach. Now where are those wooden boards going to come from? It must come from the trunk of the tree. So what do you see? That species is not only the lulav proper, species is also considered the tree itself. Also, once you tell me the tree itself is considered species, anything that grows around the tree is also species, including what? The ivy that grows around it, and the trunk itself. And then we have a proof positive, what Ravah says was correct. When Ravah said, according to the Yehuda, that you're allowed to use the ivy in the trunk of the tree, it's considered mean, we see according to the Yehuda, that indeed, it concurs. Amen.